Don't we turn for a little to the chapter part of which we have read, the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to John. The 19th chapter of the Gospel according to John and the fifth verse. John 19 at verse 5, at the end of the verse, I will express unto them, Behold the man. It may seem strange, perhaps, to take a tip from words spoken by a pagan. And of course, Pilate was a pagan. And yet Pilate said a number of true things. And sometimes things that were rather fewer than he himself realized. He said, for example, I find no fault in him. Well, of course, he understood that, insofar at least as it was a, a judicial verdict. Again, the words that he put onto the cross. The very first words that someone has said, the very first words of the New Testament, so far as you know, it was written down. Jesus, the King of the Jews, that he un understood only vaguely. And then this word, Behold the man. Now I'm quite sure that the word is capable of a much deeper meaning than Pilate ever imagined. Otherwise, I don't think that John will have taken the trouble to record it. John is very practical. He knows why he records certain things. Now, some represent Pilate, who quite evidently was impressed by Jesus, Jesus who was a stranger to him up to this point. They think they, 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 they imagine that Pilate was directing the eyes of the Jews to risk the noblest specimen of their race. In the midst of all the cruelty was touched, he there in, in, in all his dignity. Every inch a man. But you know, as I remarked to a meeting the other night, the Greeks were a few words for a man. And the pilot meant that. He might have said that with, with truth, but if that's what he was willing to say, I don't think he'd have used the particular words that he did use. No other words that he used uh, was other very general words. It includes just mankind. There's nothing really distinctive about it. And after all, was the word not appropriate in the case of Jesus? Because Jesus was a man, and not only a man, but he was a representative of mankind. He was standing there, a unique human being, and yet, a real human being. Indeed, here was man as man ought to be. He was a true man. He's God and man, but the true God and man in true distinctness. He remains fully God, even when he's down in this earth. But he is also fully a man. He has not only a human body, he has a human mind, a human spirit. 
Remember that how it put in an ancient creed. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, the God is not known. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Jesus was sent into this world. Jesus was sent to this world to make restitution for the failures of man. He was sent into the world to make a new creation, to be ahead of a new human race, to repair the havoc that was made by the human race initially in the failure of the first Adam. Jesus Christ is sometimes called the second Adam, the beginning of a new humanity. Well, I sat with Jews and now, and may Pilate follow to the Jews the invitation to us to behold this man. But in this man is the heart of the message that we preach. And you and I will be judged according to our attitude to this man. First of all, then, let us remark this, that Jesus exposes the sinless man. As a sinless one himself, he exposes the sin of our human race. He exposes it as he suffered for it. He came to fall into the world in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became an heir to all the distress and pain that sin brought upon man. You can see him here before us in the pilot judgment hall. He may see the bedraggled blood stained, clad in mock royal robes. And you see then what sin has done. Not his sin, of course, but human sin. You see sin reflected in the disfigurement of his sinless one. You see sin as a rejection of God's own son. Because that's what sin is. Sin is a rejection of God. Sin is a mockery of God. That brought out in sickening people. For Jesus brought out clad in mock royal robes. Sin gets to that. Sin descends to that death, but it not only disobeys God, it mocks God. Remember the progression in the first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorner. That's as low as we can get, isn't it? But that's what sin ultimately is. It's a mockery of God. You know, you, you and I talk about sin. And all that are many of them. And, 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 and they're judgment. 
And it's flattered ourselves that we haven't committed such a waste of him. But we shouldn't be thinking of our particular sins. But of the sins in which we are all interested. The sin of rejecting God, of saying no to God, and breaking, breaking his commandments, and ultimately mocking God. And that was the sin that brought Jesus Christ the sinless one to the cross. Man set aside all his sins for his own selfish ends and crucified the Son of God. You know, we see yourself that sin all around us every day. You see how it, for, for the suffering is inflicted upon men and women. You get it in the daily newspaper. Men and women about their lawful business killed or maimed for life because a bomb has been planted in, 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 in the hotel where they stay. Husbands, wives, families, immortal because of the, the, because of, of, of the ruthlessness and violence of man. Or on a, or on a smaller, more homely scale, how often do we see the home of a drunkard stripped of everything except wooden, <coughs> except a wooden, except perhaps a wooden table and stool, and the a wife and family living in daily terror of a man who is supposed to be the head of that home that was forfeited all the right to that, to that position. You see the drug addict loafing helplessly around, spending his last penny, willing even to sell his soul for that thing which is destroying his body. We see sin in all the pain and destitution that we deplore around us and then try to work out the reason for all the miseries in the world uh, and they just will not see or they close their eyes to the fact that it all stems from sin. And sin sets every one of us. And so on a purely human level, we see the results of sin upon, upon the sinner himself and upon those affected by him. And very often the, the comparatively innocent suffer more than, suffer more of the pain and shame of sin than, uh, than the more guilty person. But above all, we see what pain and shame, all sin and shame, all sin and upon the only sinless one who ever lived, Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that I said our sin, because they're all implicated. The whole community is implicated in the, in the humiliation of Jesus. The civil and religious leaders, yes, of course they were, but also the masses of the people cowed into submission by these self-same leaders. Yes, even the followers of Jesus, even the disciples of Jesus, forsook him. To the eternal honor, there were a few women who followed him right to the end in their loyalty and in their devotion. But they were helpless to do anything. They couldn't help in that situation. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he went there 
alone. No one, no one speaking a single word in his defense. You see, we can sin, and we often do sin, just by doing nothing, by saying nothing, being called into silence by the bravado of men. We fail to raise our voice for God and for righteousness, when, we say, when God and righteousness are despised. Some think that we over, or of the almost six million Jews who were who were killed by the Nazis in Germany. You may blame the leaders, and of course the leaders were mainly to blame, but what about the mass of the, mass of the German people? Others say they didn't know. I suppose they didn't know the full extent of what was happening. Perhaps some of them didn't know anything about it. But a very great number of them, I'm sure, knew something about it. And yet, let's not be hard on the German people. We, many in this country, knew what was happening. We didn't say much about it. We didn't say much about it. And we think we were to happen in this country. What would we do? Would we just say, oh, we don't know anything about it? In other words, we don't want to know. We don't want to know anything about it. You see, the point is this, that we are all involved in this thing. You see, Jesus in Pilate's judgment hall suffering excruciating in mind and body. Jesus' suffering was the sin of the Jews, no doubt. But don't let us forget, it's all for your sin and mine that brought them there. You know that means the spiritual. Were you there when this crucified my Lord? I can remember the first time I heard that song. I can remember how it hit me. Yes, of course. I was there. And you were there. When you see the suffering that sin brings to human beings, it ought to bring the evil of sin home to us. But how much more? we realize the horror of sin and we see what it has done, what it did and done to the Son of God. And surely we can understand, we can understand the wrath of God against human sin. That wrath, that wrath which unless we repent and yield to Jesus Christ will bring us at last eternal sin and ruin. And yet what we see before us here, what we see before us here, is rather the compassion of God. The compassion of God, who desires not the death of a sinner, but rather than his anger, his wickedness, and lives. You see Jesus, even in his bitterest anguish, feeling not so much for himself, but for those poor wretches who are bringing all this evil upon him. Do you remember how, as he went to the cross, he said to the women who were the best of intentions were following him, just tears dropping to the ground, weep not for me. Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves 
and for your children. And then as he hung on the cross, you remember, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because he's too innocent. The sinner doesn't know really what he's doing. In the moment he sins, at least, his, his mind is so, so, be, so befogged by the strength of his desires, by the strength of his temptation, that, it, that, he, that, he, that he just doesn't have time to sin. But that doesn't alter the fact. That doesn't, and that doesn't alter the guilt of his sin. But more than, more than having pity for the sins of those people, he reckoned himself among them. He bore the sin of many. He became man, and becoming man, he, he took responsibility for man. He became a surety for man. And you know, a, a surety, a, 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 if you go surety for, for anyone, for some of money, whatever it is, then you render yourself liable for all that's required if the person for whom you are surety should, should fail. Jesus took upon himself a suretyship, suretyship for fallen man. He knew what was involved, he knew man had failed, and he knew all that was involved in the redemption of man, in the setting of man free once again. And so Jesus saw the sins of these people as if they had been his own. He felt their guilt as laid on himself, although he had never committed sin. And he did it all without a murmur. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before a spirit is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And so secondly, as we behold this man, we see Jesus suffering the condemnation of man. We saw how he exposes the sin of man. But we see he, he suffers and suffers to the full the condemnation that sin brought upon man. You see, in, in, a, in quite a literal sense, Jesus stood condemned in the presence of a very august court. A court that represented the great Roman Empire. Sentence had not yet been passed, it was as evident as daylight what the sentence that was going to be passed. The Jews wouldn't have it any other way. The strange thing is there never was a verdict in the case of Jesus except the verdict of, of not guilty. I find no fault in this man. And yet overpowered by the crowd, Pilate condemned this man whom he himself had declared innocent to the most cruel, ignominious, Pain, painful, lingering death. Never was there a greater travesty of justice. And that, was, and that injustice was perpetrated by the Romans who were famous for, 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 the, famous for their justice, instigated by the Jews, the people who were famed for their righteousness and their, their uprightness. 
endless act. In this act of condemning Jesus, the human race condemned itself. The human race stands condemned. As far as that's concerned, most people would now agree. Yes, even many Jews are willing to agree that, 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 those, that, that they did wrong in condemning Jesus, even that they brought a reproach upon themselves by so doing. Now you may ask, why didn't God intervene to prevent this tragedy? Well, for one thing, very often God does not intervene in human affairs. He's in control of human affairs, but he doesn't intervene. He very often doesn't in intervene to save us from, from the results of our, of our own folly. He rather let, uh, lets us work out the folly to its end so that we may see how foolish it is. But that's only one reason. There is a deeper reason. As we put by Peter, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God himself is in this act. God the Father had sent his Son into this world to be the Savior of his people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accepted the position and became and became man's representative, man's purity, knowing all that was in, that would be involved in that. The wages of sin is death, and these wages would have to be paid because man has sinned. But then we see here, it's not just one man standing before Pontius Pilate. But rather we see the whole human race which has, which has condemned itself personified in this man arraigned before the judgment bar not just of Pontius Pilate but for the judgment bar of God and, and the human race in him condemned. And this man accepted it upon himself. He had come to represent sinful man. He accepted it all without complaint. He, he took upon himself the judgment of Almighty God. The, the judgment of Almighty God upon human sin and was inflicted upon himself. He bore the guilt. He bore the shame of our sin. And he did it willingly. It wasn't as if we can't we can't, as it were, uh, distinguish between God the Father and God the Son as if God the Father were pushing his Son into it. No, God, the Godhead was working in complete harmony. And when we see Jesus suffering death upon the cross, we see him in his human, we see God, but God in human nature, suffering there for your sin and for mine. And he suffered to the very bitter end, even to that climax in which he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because after all, that is the ultimate result of sin, being forsaken by God. That's what hell itself means. A place where God, where, a, a, a place where there's no knowledge of God, no communion with God. And so that leads us thirdly to think, 
or to see here how Jesus secures the vindication of man. The sentence, as we know, was executed. He was obedient to death. He bore our sins upon, right up to and upon the tree. He suffered all that was due by the law of God. The, the law of God could, can exact no more. The law of God will expect no more from us if we put our trust in him. And Jesus rose again from the dead in token that the work is complete, that justice is satisfied. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. The prison doors are open. We can go out free if only we will, if only we believe the message of the gospel, if only we will take advantage of the salvation that Jesus Christ has procured for us. Behold the man. Behold the man. We see in him man as God meant him to be. It surely fills us with shame as we see what man has made of himself. But we see man also as by the grace of God he can become. And if only we are found in Christ, we will become. We'll become like him. Behold the man. We see him suffering, uncomplaining for our sake. As the Apostle Peter puts it, you remember, Jesus Christ suffered Didn't know, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. Did you believe that he suffered there for your sin? He suffered there for the sins of God's people and you and I are commanded to believe in him and if we believe in him we know that we are among the people of God for whom he died and we can say bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood healed my pardon with his blood hallelujah what a savior then behold the man now risen again from the dead to all authority in heaven and earth has been committed, who is able to save to the uttermost all who come unto God by him. And if only you and I believe in him, we find that there is power in that blood to cover all our sins. He is able to save to the uttermost, save from the guilt of sin, save from its power, save from its corruption. Sin, after all, is a defeated foe. He has a great deal of liberty yet. He's permitted to tempt us, to tempt, yes, to tempt even God's people yet, and he takes full advantage of it as we know. But still we know that he is defeated and he will not triumph in the end. Behold the man who was in all points tempted like as we are, 
yet without sin, and come to him in every hour of our trial and temptation. Behold the man suffering such pain, such indignity. Is he not a living proof of the words of Isaiah? In all our afflictions, he was afflicted. In all our suffering, in all our suffering, we know that he knows all about him. And we can bring all our needs and our cares to him. God said to the children of Israel, I have seen the affliction of my people who shall in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their thoughts, that he knows ours as well. So we can say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Well, friends, will you behold this man? But are you by any chance averting your gaze from him? It's too powerful. It's too condemning. Oh, no doubt the sight should humble us in the dust, showing as it does how, how deeply we have fallen into sin. But the sight should also exalt us to heaven, reminding us that God cared for us, that God looked upon us in our low estate when we had no thought of him. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God has dealt with sin. He has dealt with sin fully. And he has achieved full and free pardon and reconciliation with himself for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now vengeance has been taken on all the foes of man and Christ doth end in triumph the conflict he began sin, death and hell and Satan their mighty victor own and man doth stand forgiven before his father's throne in a pray. O Lord we bless thee for Jesus Christ we bless that we are met in his name and uh, we bless thee that he was found in the midst of sinners and who died in the midst of sinners when he was here on earth is in our midst now may we hear him say come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest and do thou give us faith that we may rest in him we ask for his sake Amen.